everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. And today we're talking The Human Alchemy by Michael Griffin, an old old friend of the show. Yeah. Uh, this, is the first, uh, this is the first time we've done a single author collection. That's true. And it's cool that it's Mike, because Mike's such a nice guy. I picked him up at the airport once. <laughs> Made him listen to Wings. <laughs> Made him listen to what? Wings. <laughs> I was listening to Wings, and it just happened like I picked him up, and there it was Paul McCartney and Wings for Mike. Uh, you got him his first Dunkin' Donuts coffee, too, I, didn't you? That's true. I did. I did. So there you go. I hope you're addicted, Mike, but you live in the Pacific Northwest, so probably not. And 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 while we're while we're talking personal things about Mike Griffin, you know, we'll do a shout out to Lena real quick because Lena's great too. Yeah, I like Mike. He's a good guy. It's it's nice to have somebody who's writing this stuff that is actually one of the good ones. You know, there's so much talk all the time of separating the art from the artist. You really don't have to do that with Mike Griffin. No. Mike Griffin's a, no. a solid guy. Yeah. I mean, you should still do that anyway, but but it's not a, it's not a necessity when it comes to reading Mike Griffin. So That's true. You go. That's true. But, you know, he's, he's also the type of person that just makes you, like, raise your fist in the air and go, Griffin! Yes, he has an interesting collection of trousers. Definitely. But let's not talk about Mike Griffin anymore. Let's talk about his book, The Human Alchemy. Yes. So, like you had said earlier, this is the first single author collection that we have uh, done, that we've read. Yeah. This one is what uh, nine stories in a novella. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's it's funny because I have a lot of these stories in in the anthologies in which they first appeared: Cthulhu Thon or Fagin, however you want to pronounce that. Um, Eternal Frankenstein. That's right, y'all. <laughs> uh, um, children of Old Leech. Children, I don't have that one. Oh, I have uh, that one. Yeah, uh, there's Eternal Frankenstein, Madness of Dr. Caligari, which we actually did on the air, uh, Zenobsis One. Yeah, that's the first I ever heard of that. Autumn Cthulhu from Autumn Cthulhu from uh, Lovecraft Ezine, and a uh, and a story that was actually published in the Ezine when it was publishing stories mm. back in so, the day. Yeah, so and and there's, so there's um. A huge, a huge representation of anthologies that have come and gone over the past few years that um, Mike has been a part of, and now we have them all collected. Yeah. Uh, this is the, I believe, the second collection of of Griffin's work. Uh, yes. He, what was the first one? I've forgotten the name. Uh, the Lore of Devouring Light. Both were put out by um, by Ross, right? The word horde. Yes, the the word whore, as some people who go by their initials. Fuck St. Joshi. <laughs> hey Ross, thanks thanks for letting us read this book. <laughs> word, word horde is a fine press, and they put out a lot of great stuff. Just so, just to plug them because they, you know, whenever they have something good, they always um, seem to put us on the list to to review it. So nice. when they have nice something good, is that what you, is that what you just yeah, said? Yeah, which is everything. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. 
that I've said time and time again that the first story is always the most important. This is no exception. I don't know if Ross ordered the stories or if Michael Griffin ordered the stories, but Fire Dancing was the perfect opening. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not going to go through like we normally do with anthologies and, and go story to story to story. Steve and I have done some crossover reading and each of us have done a couple that the other one didn't do. But Fire Dancing was the perfect opener because it, it brings you into uh, that world of the cult. It brings you underground, takes you to hell almost literally through the action of the story. And then the rest of the collection unfolds from there. And it's just very poignant. Now, when we get to the other end, the bookend story is the title story, the human alchemy from eternal Frankenstein, instead of going down into the earth and burial and death, we are actually brought up in location uh, to the, the upper floors of this, this estate house and toward a, uh, an enlightenment of sorts and a rebirth. So we go from death to rebirth over the course of this entire collection. And a type of death and rebirth is usually central to Mike Griffin's writing. Yeah. Um, like you said, fire dancing really sets the, the, the pace for the whole thing um, where it just blatantly just throws the themes right at you that we're, that Mike is going to be dealing with throughout this anthology um there's there's going to be loss there's going to be um nostalgia and regret and there's going to be um overcoming that for good or ill Mm -hmm. um sometimes um the protagonist gets what he or she wants and it's great and sometimes um it's not so great (laughs) mike griffin is one of the one of the few people who can work a satisfying happy ending to a to a weird tale Everyone gathers at Haystack Rock, being yeah. being one one very uh, very classic kind of tale, but it's a it's actually one that has a happy ending. It's it's got a happy ending, and to to be honest, there's little to no like overt supernatural um, things going on in that. There's no supernatural force driving anything. Um, a lot of of the supernatural in quotes the weird. Um, actually just happens um, off, not off page, but implied in the background. And mm-hmm. even, even then you're, you're just left thinking, well, that could happen to anyone. Yes. That could, <laughs> that could happen to anyone. It, but this is a gathering of occultists and, you know, neo-pagans and new agey types and stuff like that. Right. So you have kind of a backdrop and of, of the usual suspects of weird fiction, but you get more of a, almost a, a heartwarming romance. Yeah. Blooming in this story. And it's a, it's a nice change of pace when you put it into context with a lot of the stories that are in here that are Mike doing the bleak thing. Right. It kind of reminds me speaking of um, the Caligari uh, mm-hmm. book. It kind of reminds me of Molly Tanzer's story that was in that book, um, where the, the the theme is there. Part of, part of the themes of, of of the collection are in that story, but it's more like um, just to use a food an, an analogy, uh, pickled ginger. It just kind of clears your palate because you don't have all that weird and you don't have all that like uh, just horrible stuff happening. Right. Right. 
Um, there's, no, there's no the window, the window. Right. And and there are a few the windows in here. There, there's a couple of the windows. I, I really don't find that, that Mike goes the route of pastiche often I, enough. He takes the uh, the 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 trope and and makes it original enough that it really reads more fresh. Reads almost like he or or the ideas were invented in the modern era, or he, maybe he has reinvented the wheel, so to speak. Well, he's just a he's just a talented writer um, in his own right. He could be writing in any genre he wants to, and and be good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're just we're just fortunate that for now he likes to write weird fiction. Hey, where's that detective novel, Mike? So, but I mean, he, he, that's one of the things reading this that struck me is it's very literary. It's not, it's not pastiche at all. Even though, like you said, even the window, the window stories, um, the one in particular I'm thinking of is, uh, delirium sings at the Maelstrom window. Yes. That's probably the closest to a traditional mythos story as this particular collection gets. Right. With the exception of fire dancing. Right. Well, even fire dancing was kind of like fire dancing ended up being a little more Robert Chambers. And I think I think there's yeah. a lot of Robert Chambers influence in Griffin's writing style. I think uh the approach he takes to quote unquote cosmic horror is is more in line with uh King and Yellow than HP Lovecraft. Well, it seems like the cosmic horror isn't necessarily horror it's more um just an agent of change mm-hmm. if you look at the centerpiece of of this collection which would be an ideal retreat yes um that th- there's definitely elements of cosmic horror happening in this story um it, it's a it's a variation on the house that changes kind of thing right like like um what's it called uh, house of leaves that that kind of thing mm-hmm. you have a mysterious house that that is somehow um, respond. It's responding to whatever. I don't want to give anything away, but the the, the protagonist of the story um, goes in there, and you know, because of the actions of the house and how she interacts with the house, um, resolves some huge crises that are happening in her life, mm-hmm. um, and she's transformed by cosmic horror, and not in a negative way. She doesn't come off the poorer. Uh, for her experience now that's just the end of the novel who knows i mean there's definitely a huge what if because um her brother-in-law was driven from the house so you don't really get a lot of details on that but that's 20 years so you don't know right uh but you know as the as the story itself stands it, it it doesn't have like a a typical cosmic horror ending she's no more addicted to anything than she certain than she was when she started. Right. She's not throwing herself out of a window to avoid whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she, she's makes some life changing decisions that are, you know, probably f- for her, the best. Yes, absolutely. Not a, not a bad outcome. Right. And, and a lot of these stories are like that. They, they do not go all the way to the horror route. There's always, Something spooky, something strange, something not quite normal. But there's also this this idea that the horror is more um, 
transformative. Yeah, it's it's almost as if Mike Griffin took um, the shadow over Insmouth, mm-hmm. deconstructed it, and made it into a more mature uh, thing. Right. <laughs> um, just that, just as his style, because you know, you look at the end of of the shadow over Insmouth, and you have the protagonist. Um, realizes that he himself is is a deep one and is, breaks his brother out of the insane asylum. They're going out out to the the city with too many consonants at Devil's Reef, <laughs> and that is a huge theme in this collection. That you have this this horror, but in the end, really, what's happening is it's changing you to help you realize a better self. I think that that happens in, in all the stories mm-hmm. um, with maybe the exception of um, the delirium sings at the maelstrom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, but that's definitely, um, you know, a tribute to Eric Zan. Now, one of the things you were talking about the, the characters being transformed, most of the protagonists of the stories in this collection are broken people. Mm-hmm. Um, not not always seriously broken, although in some cases they are. But there's something undeniably wrong. Uh, they are having existential crises. Um, the 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 veneer of the mundane life just gets like weighs too much on them, and they realize there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else, and and it's almost like the brokenness of the person. Uh, makes them kind of a magnet for this type of transformative experience. Right. Well, they've all suffered some horrible loss. Um, I think that that is what connects all the characters. Um, you know, you have from loss of children, uh, loss of spouse, uh, you know, to just loss of loss of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's what connects all these protagonists is yeah they're broken because they're not whole because they lost something essential to who they felt they were. Right, right. And really we're we're kind of stating the obvious here because the the collection is called The Human Alchemy. Right. And it's humans being transformed from one state into another. So right off the bat is like wink wink. Yeah, you got to expect reason. it. <laughs> you got to expect it. <laughs> Nah, just drink another Dunks, read the next story. That's right. Now, now, one thing that strikes me about this collection, and Michael Griffin is going to have to work really hard on correcting this in the next collection, is that his trademark orgies and explosions are distinctly missing. <laughs> Aren't from, you um, confusing all the stories here? Senor Goodfellow? No, nope. Griffin has said many, many times that all he writes about is orgies and explosions. And Mr. Griffin! It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's metaphorical <laughs> explosions. Metaphor. <laughs> I mean, if you want orgies and explosions, go read Cody Griffin. Or Cody Griffin. Cody Goodfellow. I, I, want, I want the orgies and explosions there that Griffin promised. Well, there you go. Cody Griffin. You can have the best of both worlds. Cody, oh my goodness, that would, uh, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, that would, that would be living a cosmic horror story because a Cody Griffin would just, no, that, that book existing would, would cause 
uh, tidal waves. Uh, the sky would open up and that sort of thing. And if, if Cody Griffin had Joe Pulver's mustache, it would be all the effects would be double and the planet would just explode. Yeah. This is one worth having. Um, I haven't read just, just in terms of, of what it is. I haven't read a single author collection in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's by chance or choice, hard to say. A lot of the stuff we end up reading are multiple authors with a theme. I, this is a good one. I, I I enjoy this particular one. Sometimes you read these things and you get gesundheit. Thank you. You sneeze. You get a little fan um, of podcasting. Sneezing on the mic. I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, you could get you can get a little burnt out. Single author collection. Just the fact that this was tight. Um, and and whether that's because it was uh, arranged that way, or whether it's just that. Griffin was like in the zone for X amount of years that he was writing these stories. It's hard to say. Little column it, A, little column B. Yeah. Well, well, you know, like if you read like, uh, you know, they'll put out like, let's just say Ray Bradbury. Cause that's probably the last single author collection I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get a lot of column A column. Um, oh yes. And this is from this period. And this is from this period. And unless it's like something tight, like the Martian Chronicles, which, which is thematic, right. you get a, a, a lot of here and there, hit or miss. Um, a lot of these are our hits. Mm-hmm. So they, they did a good job putting it together. Yeah, well. not, a, not a weak story in the bunch. Not a weak yeah. story in the bunch. It's hard to achieve. Yes. Now, we joke around about Mike Griffin's orgies and explosions. but You do. I do. Because I've he, never I heard him say that. Really? Really? He, he'll, he'll appreciate that joke. He really will. If you have not read Mike Griffin, and I'm hard pressed to think of any of our listeners as having having not read Mike, but if you haven't, there's the the best way to describe his prose style. We mentioned Robert Chambers. We we mentioned you know the tightness of the narrative and the tightness of the collection. Griffin is the undisputed heavyweight champ of the slow burn. Uh, there's just something he's always been able to do it. I'm not usually a big fan of the slow burn. Uh, I think a lot of times it gets distracting, um, but Mike does it in such a way where he just slowly, slowly peels back the onion. You'll start off and you'll be like, this is not a horror story at all. I mean, this is just so, you know, the sun is shining. You're out for a pleasant walk in the woods. And then slowly, things will start changing. And that is perfectly uh, shown in an ideal retreat, how it starts off like a Hallmark movie, pretty much. Yeah. yeah and, it really and, does. and he slowly starts peeling back the onion, peeling back the onion and showing us different layers and layers and layers until we get to the central climax of the story. Part of it is anticipation because you know it's in a horror club. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that Mike, Michael Griffin is a horror writer. Um, so part, part of that slow burn and what, and what pushes you along for that slow burn is that anticipation. And I don't know if a slow burn like that is going to work as well if it's not announced prior that this is part of a horror collection. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know because because you, you create your own tension um, because it's like waiting for a shoe to drop. Right. right. Mm-hmm. 
And there's, and, a, there's a little bit of sadism involved too. When I think both for author and reader is that, you know, things are going okay for this person. What's going to happen? Right. I can't, can't wait to see how this, this ideal situation gets fucked up. Right. There, there's parts in an ideal retreat where if you are of the idea that you are reading a horror story, you are thinking like that. You're like, Oh my God, all the food is her favorite food. Right. Right. That's the kind of wine she likes. And, and, and your, your, your brain is going, what the fuck, what's going to happen? What's going to, but let's say you take the context of um, those originally dim shores Mm -hmm. or word horde and you take it out of that context and you put it into a Hallmark context or a different context, same exact story, same everything, mm-hmm. you are not going to have the same reaction um, to anticipate anticipate that weird. And I think that uh, part of how Mike's prose works is based on, um, it's, a, it's a nod and a wink, you know you're reading a horror story, right? Or you know you're reading a weird tale, right? Right. Um, and I think, I think, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I think a lot of of um, weird fiction relies on that, mm-hmm. um, you know, author reputation or publishing house reputation. Right. Well, that's true. To help but... create that tension, not not to 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 be a good story or a or a bad story, just to um, as a reader mm-hmm. to kind of uh, pull yourself along through it as well. Right. But you also have other authors who might write a story of a similar length who get weird very early in the story. Oh, yeah. And, and you're going to have authors who are going to like, yeah, yeah, shove Garth it up. Right. You know, drop all the We're, names. We don't want to talk about them. Well, just so just so you, you know, this is going to be a Lovecraftian story. I wrote yeah, yeah in it. That I. I talked about Great Cthulhu. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that that is, there's only one name drop in this whole collection. Right. And it's Eric Zahn. Right. Right. Which is probably one of one of the lesser known. Eric Zahn, the music of Eric Zahn is not one of the ones that uh, I consider people list in the top three. Right. Might be in the top five. It's usually in the top ten. But it's not like the first three Lovecraft stories you think about. Right. It, it's hard to it's hard to go beyond. Now, we've read a couple of stories that have like taken that theme and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um especially in the rock and weird stuff. But yes. But um it, it's definitely a little bit more limiting, I guess, mm-hmm. as as a theme. But yeah, it's it's odd that that would be the one thing dropped in the whole thing. No, there's no great Cthulhu, there's no Yelg Sothoth. Very very little in terms of tentacled monsters. I mean, there's there's authors that can't wait to to get that tentacle. Oh, tentacle every chance you get. And Mike Griffin does an excellent job of not throwing the tentacle tentacle in there. In fact, I think in in some cases where in, when he mentions the word tentacle, um, I, I think it's almost almost a little just almost a wink. It's like uh huh. See, I can say tentacle. <laughs> And and all of this is the the same one story, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is from a collection called Cthulhu Fathagan. So you right kind of has exactly. to yeah that kind of has to give you more obvious nods. But I would say that the bulk of Mike Griffin's work generally strays more into the 
the dark fantasy aspect yeah rather than straight up horror and and that now this has nothing to do with with the quality of the stories or anything but it's just a pet peeve of mine uh there in no way shape or form is uh lovecraft lovecraftian cthulhu or any of that shit used to market this right um it does not say a collection of lovecraftian tales blah 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 nope. so uh, so um it, that's fantastic because it, it isn't right and we uh, read, that... go ahead we've read collections that purport to be a collection of lovecraftian tales and really they're they're not and they're good stories they're just marketed to sell right and and I think uh, Scott Jones might have something to do with that because he designed the he did the cover design for this. Did and he? there are no yes, and there are no subtitles. It is the Human Alchemy, Michael Griffin. Boom, that's it. That's what you get. Cool. Yeah. More or less. And as we said before, this collection is available on Amazon. We will have a link in the description. That is the Human Alchemy by Mike Griffin. Uh, buy it, read it, love it. Just don't write us letters about what you do when you love it. <laughs> and until next time, keep 30 luck points. <laughs>